rhythms of fasting and prayer. Uh, I know this is a hard subject in some ways. Uh, this is something most Christians struggle with, uh, myself included. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes you find yourself praying a prayer like this. You say, God, I know that so far today I've done pretty well. Uh, I haven't gotten angry. I haven't yelled or screamed or cursed or anything like that. I don't have any ill thoughts toward anybody. I don't even believe that I've sinned. But just in a couple of minutes, I'm going to have to get out of bed and start my day. (laughs) And I'm going to need your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to walk me through this day. Maybe you're like that. Uh, This is a uh, subject that it seems like, oh, sure, we, we pray, but do we really pray? Fasting, that goes against everything in our culture, the concept of the abstinence of food or something that we really desire like social media for the purpose of devoting that time or that energy or that resource to God. I challenge you to consider that. And we have our devotional books. We have more of those. We ran out last week this hour. challenge you to go pick one of those up. And maybe begin today with Lent. Prayer and fasting. Uh, I'm reminded of a true story of a pastor named Irwin down in South Dallas. And Irwin was pastoring a small gathering of people in South Dallas and they just had a, they met in a small room and they had outgrown it. But, but most of the people in Irwin's church were single moms, children. Um, they had just a few, few men in the congregation. Most of the church uh, either was on welfare or qualified for welfare. And so it was a difficult time, but they were praying, they were growing, they were reaching people. People were coming to Christ, but they were outgrowing their little room. And so... Uh, They began to pray and they began to fast because they didn't have any money. And so they began to pray and fast and ask God to move and ask God to to do something. And so, yes, yes. And so they began to to pray and fast. And as they, they did that, one day one of their members found a piece of property right there in Dallas. And it was available and it was really inexpensive. It was so much cheaper than any of the other property all around them. They couldn't believe their good fortune, and so they said, we've got to raise the money. So they began to raise money, try to raise money in their little church, and they talked to the association. The association agreed to give them a little bit, but they still didn't raise more. And finally, they got enough to buy that piece of property, that, that land that they felt was prime property. And so they went, and they purchased it. <clears throat> they called the real estate agent, and he was more than glad to sell it to them. And they were so excited. So then they began to prepare and begin to pray about uh, when they would build, and they had the property, uh, they had the property inspected and tested. And when they had the soil tested, they were told, "I'm sorry, but this land is unbuildable." And they said, "Why?" And they said, "Well, apparently, somebody uh, from a long time ago dug a hole here, and what had happened? I talked to the pa- pastor Chris, who's there now. They had dug a hole and they'd torn down these apartment complexes, and they just thrown all the junk in this hole and then covered it up." And so now here it is, and 25 years later, and they said, it's not buildable. You can't use this property. And they said, is there no way? He said, no, we're sorry. There's nothing you can do with it. And Irwin went back, and he was so upset. 
He was embarrassed. He was scared. And he was thinking, how did we miss God on this? How did we miss? We were praying. We are fasting. And we got this great deal for pennies on the dollar. It was just a remarkable deal. And we thought God had opened a door. But what we feel now is that we've been scammed. And so what were they going to do? And they decided we're just going to keep praying fast and asking God to do something. Maybe, maybe he'll get somebody to buy it from us. <clears throat> maybe somebody else will take it and they could do something else with it. And so they just began to pray. And Erwin uh, was very disheartened. And finally, after a couple of months of fasting and praying, one of the little old ladies in his church, she went up to him. She said, Brother Erwin, we've been praying and fasting for the last couple of months. Let's go see if God's done something. And he was thinking, I don't know what it is you think he's going to do because it's unbuildable. And so they went out there. But this time, instead of going to the front of the property, they came around from the back. They had had another point. And they came to the back and they tested the soil. And when they tested the soil, it was fine. They did several tests and it was fine. And what they discovered was that the front side of that property and the side where they had driven up to was all unbuildable. But the other side was clean. When the realtor who sold them that found out, he offered them triple what they had paid for it. They said, no thanks, good friend. (laughs) And through a couple years later, they were able to raise some more money and they built a church there. And I want to show you a picture of that church uh, on the screen. Does anybody recognize this church? Anybody recognize it? Faith doesn't recognize that. I don't know if anybody else recognizes it. Raise your, raise your hand if you think you recognize it. Okay. This right here is Cornerstone Church that we partner with right now. Cornerstone, and this is it. This over on the left was the property where it's a parking lot. The city agreed to let them put a parking lot. That was where the, where the landfill was and behind the church. But this space and then to the right, in about two months from now, as a matter of fact, we've done this for the last 10 years, We'll go down to South Dallas. We won't do church. We call it Hands Cross Community. And about 200, 150 to 200 of our people, we will put on a big festival for all the children, all the people in that area. We'll do food for them. We'll share the gospel with them. And we'll provide needs during the holidays, at Christmas. Uh, my family's been here before. We've gone into this church, and we wrap gifts for children there. Matter of fact, at Thanksgiving, if you just go uh, just about another 50 yards this direction, at Thanksgiving, my family and many of you, we went down there and served food uh, at Thanksgiving. And what's amazing is what it looked like Satan had meant for evil, that meant for their detriment. God redeemed for their good. And they got a property far and away under, they, I think, I was talking to Chris, he, he didn't know exactly what the price was. He said, but it was probably 10% of the actual value. He said, uh, because other people knew, but the church didn't, that this was not, uh, this was not good property. But God redeemed it. And now ministry happens there. In fact, they outgrew this building. And this building is strictly used for ministry, and they moved a block away now. We're Pastor Chris Simmons, which part of what you give goes to support that ministry. That's also uh, the block over is where Men and Nehemiah, uh, that's where they're, they're located. And so God has, uh, every week we have, a, between those three ministries, we have about 100 people that go down and serve. And isn't that amazing how God was a way maker? And 30 years ago, it looked like a disaster, and now God has redeemed it. And countless, hundreds of people have come to Christ, and thousands have been ministered to. I love that God's a way maker. And where did it start? With prayer and fasting. This fasting business, uh, it's interesting because 
if you go to the most famous sermon in history, Jesus speaking, called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you go to the heart of that sermon, chapter 6, you see three rhythms that Jesus teaches us to observe. Three rhythms. The first one is giving. The second one is prayer, and the third one's fasting. Now, you get to relax because we're not going to do the giving one today, okay? So just settle down. It'll be okay. We're going to talk about the, the, the fasting and the prayer. So we're going uh, to start the back with fasting. And fasting is biblical. We see fasting all throughout the scriptures. We see that Moses fasted when he received the Ten Commandments. We see that Daniel fasted when he was seeking interpretation of the vision that God had given him. When Hannah was praying for a child, she fasted and prayed. Elijah, after his great victory at Mount Carmel, uh, fasted and prayed. Ezra, when he was fasting and praying uh, because of the unfaithfulness of Israel, Nehemiah, before he went to build the wall, fasted and prayed. Esther, when her people were given the edict that her people would be exterminated, she stopped and she fasted and she prayed and she called upon all Jews to fast and to pray. Uh, Even the Ninevites, when Jonah went and preached a message of repentance saying that God is going to destroy this city, uh, they repented and the king ordered that they would all fast and pray. Jesus, before he starts his public ministry, fasts for 40 days and prays. Paul, uh, after, as he's appointing the church elders, fasts and prays. And the church of Antioch, as they're sending Paul and Barnabas out, fast and prays. We see fasting uh, in the book of Acts when the disciples are seeking to hear God. We see it in the Psalms when David is pouring out his heart in intercession for others. We see it as an act of repentance from the prophet Joel in chapter 1 as he fasts and prays for his people and for his land. And we see it as an act of worship in Luke chapter 2 as Anna the prophetess who weekly would pray and fast in anticipation of the Messiah of Jesus, Yeshua HaMessiah, the one who would come. As we see this, let's go to where Jesus speaks about fasting in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the 16th verse. And notice the very first three words. Notice what he says, and he will start each verse with this phrase, and when you fast. Those four words, each verse he'll start, and when you fast. It is an expectation, it is a given as he preaches to his followers, as he preaches his kingdom to his people, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disguise their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly to you, they have their reward. That's all you get. You want to show it? You want to make it about you? You've missed it. Last week we talked about there are three phases of spiritual development in the Christian's life. The first one is that of purgative. And fasting uh, is partially purgative where you purge things out of your life that don't need to be there. You purge distractions. You purge things that are harmful to your spiritual well-being. But then there's illumination where you learn and where you grow in wisdom and knowledge. And then there's the unitive. Fasting and prayer are uniting with Christ. 
That's the reward that is spoken of right here in this chapter. And the Bible says, but when you fast, again, in verse 7, there's that phrase, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you, will unite you with his spirit. Now, it's not wrong uh, to have corporate, but we see in the Bible, uh, there was Day of Atonement. That was a time that everyone fasted. There are fast uh, for the churches. They were fast uh, in, in the temple. They were fasting for certain holidays. Uh, so that's not wrong. But what Jesus is talking about, he's saying, when you do this simply for show, it's not coming from a heart that longs to connect with Christ, but it becomes an image you seek to portray. It's really not what's in your heart. It's simply what you want to show. He goes, then that's your reward. But do this out of the inner recesses of your heart. Uh, really, probably metaphorical, go in the closet, but certainly we go in the closet. And, and here's a good way to think about it. And he's going to talk about this with prayer. Is this something you're willing to do and nobody knows about it? If they find out, it doesn't matter. If you have accountability, that's fine. But what is your purpose in fasting? If it's any other purpose other than to unite with Christ, then we've missed it. Then we go on to prayer in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And we see that same phrase again. And when you pray, it's an expectation. It's a directive. It's a given for the follower of Christ who seeks to unite with the Spirit of Christ. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, what are the hypocrites like? Well, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the streets and to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Again, we see corporate prayer all throughout the Scripture. We see praying in groups, praying in homes, praying in churches. It's not wrong to pray publicly. It is endorsed. It is a good thing. But he does say, don't be like the hypocrites. What would make it hypocritical? Well, I'll give you a little small litmus test. If you pray for things in public that you never pray for in private, it's probably not really a burden on your heart. What do you pray in private? Do you pray in public? What you pray in public, you should always be willing to pray in private. Is it a new idea? Is it something that sounds cool? Is it what you think you're said? Do you think that would be poor? People would say, hmm, that's a good prayer. <laughs> that was a really good prayer. You missed it. Jesus is saying, what are you praying for already. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father is a secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Whatever your secret prayer, whatever your prayer in your closet, whatever the prayer you pray in your bedroom, that is the prayer of your heart. That is the prayer of authenticity. And then he says it again in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So they would babble, literally. And they would say lots of words and everything that would come out. And they just keep saying, they keep talking, they keep going. Doesn't matter if it makes sense. And Jesus said, don't be like that. Just pray out of your heart. If you stutter, if you stammer, if you stop, if you're silent... 
You say words that don't make sense. Guess what? The book of Romans chapter 8 said that the spirit incedes with groanings that are too deep for words. Sometimes our heart is so burdened, we're so broken that we don't know what to pray. And guess what? As we put ourselves in a spiritual posture of prayer, the spirit intercedes for us. It's not about the words. It's about the heart of the words. And Jesus said in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Did you know that God answers all your prayers? We hear that, and if we think about it real self-centeredly, we go, no, I don't. I asked for this, 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 and this. Well, the answer was no, maybe. All right? There's several answers God gives sometimes. He always answers. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says grow up. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he, this is my favorite one, and this is kind of what happened with Erwin McManus at Cornerstone. Yes, but it's not going to be like you think. That's what, I, yep, I'm going to answer this, but it ain't going to be like you think. What you think is, I'm going to give you all this money, or I'm going to give this to you, and then it's all going to be, and that's not the way I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so a lot of times we're, we miss it, or we're surprised, and that's okay to be surprised. But it doesn't mean that God didn't hear you. It doesn't mean that he's not responding. Jesus gives us a model. He gives us an outline in the Lord's Prayer here. I've had people ask me before, do you think we should pray that? I mean, you know, isn't that just for people who don't really know how to pray? Just like the basic prayer for like kids we teach them. Yeah. And it's good for us too. I mean, Jesus was giving it to adults. And guess what? There are churches all over the world today that are praying this. And Jesus said, I want to give you a model. And when you don't know what to say, here's what to say. Here's an outline of what you want to be trying to communicate. And so he gives this to his people, to his followers, to his kingdom. And he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adoration, our Father, Yahweh God, The God of salvation, the one and true living God, the personal God who has given Jesus Christ to it. Holy is your name. Adoration. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then he says acceptance. Acceptance of my will, of what I want done. Can you accept that? You adore him, then you say, God, I accept. doesn't mean I like it. It's not what I want. I don't understand it. I don't see it. But Lord, I adore you, and your will be done. Even Jesus didn't really feel it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours. Beautiful example. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then here's the ask, our request. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts. God, forgive us of our sins and provide our needs. He wants us to ask. And then the adherence. And Lord, we forgive those who've sinned against us and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a prayer that Jesus gave. Now, you probably learned this prayer growing up and maybe you've heard it sung before. And then there's another part that we don't see right here. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What about that part? Why is that not recorded here in Matthew or in Luke? And actually, many of the manuscripts that we have have that recorded. Um, But our oldest manuscript does not have that recorded. So is it not the Bible? 
Um, should we not sing it? Should we not say it? Well, there's a book. Uh, it was kind of called a church handbook, kind of a commentary for how Christianity was to be lived out. It was called the Dictae, and it was written sometime between 50 A.D. and 100 A.D. Scholars differ on exactly when it was written, but somewhere in that time frame, uh, let's say it was written 80 or 90 A.D., and it was the handbook. It, it told the church how to recognize false prophets. It told them how to do communion, how to do baptism. Uh, it gave it all a myriad of how to kind of live out the Christian life, the Christian faith. And in the dictate, um, we see that it's added. So that was being quoted in the first century as they were doing the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, whether it was meant to be in Scripture or not, here's what we do know. Think about it. It's, it's a doxology is what it's called. It's a doxology. And it goes right into the theological uh, purpose of Matthew. For thine is the kingdom. What is Matthew preaching about? The kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom right here. My kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth, but my kingdom. For thine is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the power, the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon you as it came upon Pentecost for the believer in Christ Jesus as we come to know Christ and the power of the Spirit comes upon and enables us to live out the Christian life in faith and to live a life that Jesus preaches that makes little or no sense to a secular world. But we are to live that out. How? Through the power of the Spirit. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. What is the glory? It's the chief purpose for which we exist, to bring God praise and glory. So it's very scriptural, the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here's what I'd like for us to do this morning. I want you to pray with me. I want to start by praying a passage that it's often used uh, for times of prayer, Second Chronicles 7.14. And I, I want to go ahead and say this up front. This, this particular passage, this, this scripture, was a specific promise given to the nation of Israel. Okay, So it wasn't written to us, but we get the benefit of it being for us, not, not to us. And what do I mean for us? I mean that because of God's infinite mercy and grace, these are principles that he honors that he honors when his people humble themselves and pray and seek his face. And so on the loving mercies and grace and principles of the Bible and of God himself, we are going to pray these things. So if you would, uh, let's begin. Put yourself in a posture of prayer spiritually and physically as we prepare to pray. If my people, my people, today God's people are the church, the body of Christ, who are called by my name, Christians, little Christ, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, <clears throat> then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh God, we ask humbly as your servants, as your people, as your children, as your church. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace 
and your forgiveness. We humble ourselves before your throne, not because we have earned it or deserved it, but because of your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. And, oh, Lord, we pray and we seek your face. We seek your will, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Lord, to not get so, Lord, focused on our own selfish needs our own desires, that we forget your kingdom and your people, that we forget your heart. Lord, we want to seek your face and we want to turn from our wicked ways for we live in the midst of a people with unclean lips and our lips are unclean as well. And Lord, we want to ask you to hear our prayers. We want to ask you, Lord, to forgive our sins. And we want to ask you to heal our land, heal our churches, heal our families, heal our community, heal our state, our nation, our world. Lord, we recognize that everything that we've been given is a gift from you and you have given it to us in order that we might bring you glory. Lord, I pray today for the families of our churches, for the individuals of our churches, for the children of our churches, for the marriages of our churches. Lord, heal our people physically, emotionally, spiritually. We ask for your healing, Lord. Break our hearts for the needs around us. Lord, give us a heart for those who don't know you, that are in our neighborhood, that are at work, that are at school, that are in our relationships. Father, I pray that you would give us a burden to pray for their salvation, to pray that they would experience the positive and whole loving spirit of the gospel. And as you give us an opportunity to give an account for the hope that is in us, that we would share that for your glory. Lord, we pray for Rock Point Church that you would use it as a light to bring forth your glory. For our missions that we partner with, for Refuge for Women, for Men of Nehemiah, for Cornerstone Church, for CCA, for Christ Haven, for Salvation Army, for Vickery Elementary, and so many more. Lord, for our church plants in Arizona and California and in Texas, God, we lift them up. For our missions in Romania, Father. Lord, for our missions in Belize God, for those missionaries that have gone out from our church into Africa. Lord, for those that have started work in Canada. Lord, I pray your spirit upon them. I pray, Lord, that you would use them and that you would grow them, that you would use the seeds that they've planted to bring much fruit and much glory to you. Burden our hearts to remember to pray for them. Lord, we pray uh, for our schools and for our parents, Father, who educate our children. Lord, that 
you would protect and guide and direct, that you would use godly teachers to speak life into the lives of our children and to our students. Lord, we pray for our community, that, Lord, we lift up the leadership that you've placed within our community and within our state, God, that you would burden their hearts that to seek you and that they would make godly decisions that bring you glory. Lord, we pray for our nation that is so divided that you would heal our land, that you would bring peace and strength and harmony into our land. God, that we would seek you and we would seek the gospel. Lord, we lift up our House of Representatives. We lift up our Senate. We lift up our president. We lift up all those. And God, we ask that you would cause them to be broken and seek your heart. And Lord, that they would lead according to your will, not theirs, not ours, but Lord, you would be glorified. I pray for the broken. I pray for the disenfranchised. I pray, Lord, for those, Father, who don't have enough to eat, for those who don't have clean water that are right here in our country. God, I pray that you would move in our leadership. God, and that as we go to the polls, we would pray according to your heart, to your spirit, not just for our will, not just for our kingdom, but for your kingdom. May you be praised and glorified and honored. May we be broken and humbled before you, and may we seek your face, and may you heal our land, oh God, this day. Lord, speak to us. And I invite you at this time to either sing or simply speak the words of the Lord's Prayer as we will do this together and speak these words directly to them as our closing prayer to the sermon. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.